Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast and welcome to the first podcast for 2016. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you had an enjoyable Christmas and New Year break and that you're all set and ready to go for 2016. Following my two mini-series, one on unfair dismissal and one on redundancy, I'm now back to giving you news and updates on various cases and uh, updates on what's happening with the law. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about a case in the High Court. So without further ado, I'm going to get straight into telling you about this week's case. Okay, so the case this week is rather an interesting one, and it involves Sunderland Football Club. So for those of you who follow football, Sunderland Football Club are a Premier League football team, and it's involving a case of wrongful dismissal, where they dismissed their international and national marketing director, Mr Farnan. Now this is a case that's been heard in the High Court, and the judgment was released just before Christmas. And the reason why it was heard in the High Court is because Mr Farnan was making a claim for wrongful dismissal. So that is to say that his employer failed to provide him with the required notice. And he was also claiming a bonus payment. Now, Mr Farnan's salary was 190000 a year. And the bonus that he was claiming was £964,300. And for those of you who will know, there are various limits in the employment tribunal on the amount of compensation that you can recover, particularly for breach of contract, which would be in this case, which would be 25000 So clearly it wasn't in Mr Farnan's interest to pursue these claims in the employment tribunal. So he went to the High Court Now, interestingly, there is also an employment tribunal case for unfair dismissal, which has been stayed. So it's been put on hold pending the outcome of the High Court decision. And now the High Court decision has been released. The employment tribunal claim will proceed. And my understanding is that Mr Farnan is claiming unfair dismissal in the employment tribunal. So what is the reason for Mr Farnan's claim? Well, if I give you some background to the facts of this case, um, as I say, it's quite an interesting one. So I think it's useful for you to know. Now, Mr Farnan was taken on, um, as I say, his job title was the International and National Marketing Director. And he was taken on with a view to obtaining sponsorship for Sunderland Football Club and for increasing their profile both nationally and internationally. And he was taken on by their former chairman, Niall Quinn. Now, various things happened at the club and Mr Quinn left and there was a new chairman so the owner of the club took over as chairman and there was a new CEO Miss Margaret Byrne who was Mr Farnan's line manager it would seem. With regards to Mr Farnan's role he was instrumental in setting up a new deal with a new shirt sponsor and there were various issues that took place. There were some troubles at the club during Mr Farnan's employment which weren't all related to Mr Farnan but various other things. Now, there seemed to be no problem with Mr. Farnan's relationship with the club and with Miss Byrne prior to March 2013. 
Now, around this time, Sunderland Football Club were in the relegation zone, so there was some pressure on the club, and the results weren't going their way. And a decision was taken internally to replace their current manager at the time, Martin O'Neill, with Paolo Di Canio. Now, again, for those of you who aren't in the know with regards to football, uh, Paolo Di Canio was a rather controversial figure, uh, both when he played in the Premier League and also after he left and was managing clubs in Italy. There was a real backlash when it was announced that Paolo Di Canio would be taking over as manager and the club were heavily criticised because of some views that Paolo Di Canio had expressed. As a result of this, the proposed shirt sponsor that Mr Farnan had lined up also expressed concerns about the appointment of Mr Di Canio and they were concerned about whether they would want to be associated with Sunderland Football Club after his appointment. It would seem from around this time is when relations between Mr Farnan and Miss Byrne seemed to go downhill. In Mr Farnan's evidence, he claimed that he felt that he was being ostracised around this time, around April 2013, and it seems clear that he started to look for other work at this time. Around the same sort of time in May 2013, Miss Byrne became concerned that Mr Farnan was sending emails from his Sunderland FC account to his wife's personal email address. And so she reviewed his emails so she could access his account, which many employers can, and found a number of emails which seemed to send confidential information to his wife. And there were also some comments which uh, Miss Byrne considered were rather upsetting for her. No investigation was instigated at that time because the club were going through the relegation and they had a number of other issues to deal with. But once the club were out of the woods, if you like, an investigation was instigated and Mr Farnham was invited to a disciplinary meeting where a number of allegations, I think it was a total of 28 allegations, were made against him of misconduct. Now, Mr Farnham was invited to a meeting, a disciplinary meeting, and provided with the evidence that was against him, which is what you're required to do. But he was only given three days in which to consider that evidence. And according to Mr Farnan's lawyers, there was around 75 pages of documents to consider. And at the same time, Mr Farnan had seen his GP and was signed off work. So his solicitors asked for an adjournment of the hearing, but Sunderland FC refused and the hearing went ahead on the 23rd of May. And Mr Farnan obviously wasn't there. There was subsequently an appeal and due to various issues and lack of time, Mr Farnan again didn't attend because he felt that he had insufficient time to prepare and the decision to dismiss him was upheld. Now, before I go in any further in relation to this, what I would say is actually, if I were advising Sunderland Football Club at the time, I would have advised them to actually adjourn the initial hearing and allow Mr Farnan a second opportunity to attend. Where an employee is unwell or they say that they haven't got enough time to prepare, you have an obligation to be reasonable as an employer and give them the opportunity to attend. And it's much better if they do actually attend and have that opportunity to respond to the allegations. It really does help in terms of justifying the decision for dismissal. This is certainly something that if the employment tribunal claim continues, no doubt will be dealt with by the employment tribunal and will be argued in relation to the fairness of the decision to dismiss Mr Farnan. But for the purposes of the wrongful dismissal claim, it has very limited relevance. 
So just to summarise the position here, Mr Farnan seems to have a falling out with Miss Byrne over the appointment of a new manager, which was rather controversial and caused various issues for Mr Farnan in his work in obtaining sponsorship for the club. Then subsequently, Miss Byrne interrogated Mr Farnan's email and found various emails which they alleged were misconduct. They dismissed him without notice, hence his claim for wrongful dismissal. At the High Court, Mr Farnan argued that the allegations were not sufficiently serious to constitute gross misconduct and Sunderland Football Club sought to rely on the service agreement which Mr Farnan had signed and agreed to when he started his employment. Now what I would say about the service agreement in this case was it was fairly detailed and it contained a number of provisions about confidential information and dealing with communications with the media. And so it really did cover off those points which Sunderland Football Club were seeking to rely on in their dismissal of Mr Farnan. So they already had a good basis here. And this is what I would advise you to do, is ensure that if you have concerns about confidentiality or how your employees deal with information that they hold, or in relation to emails, etc., that you ensure that you have something in writing which makes it abundantly clear this would be considered to be misconduct. So what did the service agreement say? Well, there were three clauses which were particularly important and they set out Mr Farnan's obligations and it made reference to the football club staff handbook. Now, the particular parts of the handbook which were relevant were a policy on confidentiality, which required staff not to divulge confidential information to any person or otherwise make use of it. It included a policy on communication with the media which specifically prohibited staff from having any contact with media without first directing the matter to the media and communications department and then thirdly it had an acceptable use of club resource policy which included emails which prohibited the dissemination of any material which might be considered to be indecent obscene offensive abusive or distasteful the service agreement also provided some circumstances which would lead to gross misconduct and one of those included where they were guilty of a serious breach of any rules issued by the company from time to time regarding its electronic communication system. Now those were the provisions of the service agreement and handbook which Sunderland Football Club sought to rely on in terminating Mr Farnan's contract. So what exactly were the allegations against Mr Farnan and how did the High Court judge decide Well, most of the allegations fall under a breach of confidentiality. What Mr Farnan had been doing was sending emails to his wife, as I said, to her personal email. Now, Mr Farnan's explanation for this was that his wife helped him with administration and he often worked from home, which was accepted by Sunderland Football Club, and that his wife would print the emails for him, um, etc. because he wasn't that technically minded. He also said that he sent emails to his wife about his travel arrangements and work plans so that she would know what he was doing and where he was because he would travel out of the UK frequently. The judge in this case accepted that those emails that Mr Farnan had been sending to his wife were not, in fact, a breach of confidentiality. Um, Many of them were routine and there was no breach of the terms of the service agreement. What the judge did consider was a breach of a service agreement and confidentiality 
was what appeared to be Mr. Farnan's banking of email correspondence and confidential information, which had no business purpose. So, for instance, he would be sending confidential board minutes to his wife's email address. And this sort of banking of emails seemed to have been going on for quite some time. And Mr. Farnand suggested that he had been advised to do this by Mr. Quinn when he was employed by the club as the chairman in order to provide him with some evidence if there were an issue with his employment in the future. Now, the judge rejected that he had any authority from his employer, the football club, to bank these emails or send these confidential emails to himself. And the judge concluded that there were a sizable number of emails and the rate of sending those emails to his wife to bank increased around April and May 2013 when clearly Mr Farnan had seen that his time at the club was potentially running out. The judge concluded that it was a breach of the service agreement and that it was a serious breach to bank those emails. Now this is something that often occurs when relationships start to go sour between employer and employee or employee and manager. They start to sort of collate their evidence. And I did have a case in the Employment Tribunal in 2015 which involved a similar situation in which my client was relying upon provisions in their contract and handbook which prevented employees from sending emails to themselves at home. Now it was clear in that case that the employee had been doing so for her own purposes and she uh, also um, tried to claim that she was doing this to protect her position because of the fallout with her manager. The decision to dismiss that employee was deemed to be fair by the employment tribunal because there was specific provision in the contract regarding sending those emails and confidential information. So Like in this case, the situation had been clearly set out in writing to the employees in advance and therefore the employer could rely on it to say that it was a serious breach and gross misconduct. So in relation to the sending of confidential information, Mr Farnan was unsuccessful. The other allegations were that Mr Farnan had sent confidential information to the former vice chairman of the football club, uh, Mr David Miliband, MP, and the High Court judge decided actually Mr Miliband had still had an interest in the club in relation to the information that was being shared with him by Mr Farnan which was trying to keep a deal on track to get a new sponsor following the appointment of Paolo Di Canio as manager and Mr Miliband had been assisting with this and the judge accepted that actually it wasn't a breach and Mr Miliband could be trusted to do the best for the club even after he'd resigned as the vice chairman. And it had been a very difficult time for the club and Mr Farnham personally, so it was reasonable for him to seek support from Mr Miliband, who, although he was no longer officially linked to the club, was vested in the deal with the potential sponsor at the time. So there was no breach there. The third issue that Sunderland Football Club relied on was some communications that Mr Farnan had sent in his bid to try to find alternative employment. Now this seems a bit foolish on Mr Farnan's part and having read the judgment I can quite see why why the football club were particularly concerned about the information that Mr Farnan had been sending out. What he did was sent a presentation that he had been involved in, a business development presentation that he'd been involved in for Sunderland 
football club to outside parties in a bid to show the kind of work he could do in order to try to secure alternative employment. Now, the football club were concerned about this because the confidential information was commercially sensitive and it was sent to third parties who could utilise that information and potentially share it with some of Sunderland's competitors, so other Premier League clubs. It was clear that Mr Farnan had an obligation here under his service agreement to protect the confidential information and therefore the judge decided that the emails he sent with that information constituted a breach of the service agreement. The next set of allegations relate to the disclosure of information to the press. Unfortunately for Mr Farnan, he seemed to have a conversation with a journalist who worked for Bloomberg and despite him believing that the discussion was off the record, the information he provided to the journalist was subsequently published and it was clear that this was a breach of Sunderland's policy in relation to how media inquiries should be dealt with and as a result it was sufficiently serious to result in a breach and again for Sunderland to rely on this in dismissing Mr Farnham without notice. Finally there were some issues about the derogatory comments that Mr Farnan had made about Miss Byrne. These were analysed by the judge in the case who decided that they weren't actually a breach of contract and she did not consider the exchanges of emails that were relied upon to be a derogatory in a manner which could amount to a breach of contract. So they weren't able to rely on that. Now finally, and quite interestingly, was an allegation that Mr Farnan had sent an offensive Christmas card from his Sunderland FC address. Now this allegation was not presented at the time that Mr Farnan was dismissed, so it wasn't relied upon then, but was relied upon at the hearing. What Sunderland Football Club alleged was that in preparing for the hearing they had done a further thorough analysis of his email system and they found this Christmas card. Now, why this is interesting is because it it relates to a couple of other cases involving football clubs. The allegation that they made was that the Christmas card was offensive. Now, he sent it to Mr. Horwell, who was actually Miss Byrne's husband, but for whatever reason, it didn't actually get to him. Uh, Mrs. Farnan, so his wife, his son, Mr. Stephen Farnan, and to a friend of his, Mr. William Hill. And he sent it to those people from his Sunderland address. The image on the card which Sunderland FC said was offensive, showed um, 10 women with their breasts exposed, wearing Santa Claus hats, with the words, breast wishes for Christmas, written below. The judge noted that cars like this are actually on sale openly in shops on the high street, and that it wasn't actually an extreme image or at the extreme end of the scale. She said that it couldn't be characterised either as indecent or obscene. The judge noted that some people might consider it offensive, but only mildly so. Sunderland FC argued that it constituted a breach of their policy in relation to offensive material being distributed from his email address. I found this really interesting, so what I'm going to do is, rather than summarise it, I'm just going to read you straight from the judgement. And it says, The two aspects complained of here are connected, and the starting point is to establish the context. What is offensive in one group or one workplace is not necessarily considered so elsewhere. To understand the particular Sunderland FC work environment or context, Mr Farnan's barrister invited the judge to consider a number of other incidents where Sunderland FC was said to have displayed a tolerant attitude towards offensive behaviour. 
A number of these incidents involve footballers who were permitted to play for Sunderland FC despite being subject to criminal investigations or prosecutions relating to sex offending. The judge told Mr Farnan's barrister at the time and repeats here that she does not consider Sunderland FC's attitude towards its players whose selection may or may not be subject to very different considerations and determined by different individuals to be helpful in resolving the allegations about a director's conduct. More relevant, in my judgment, are two episodes where Sunderland FC took a relaxed attitude in the context of offensive communications by senior football executives. It then goes on to say, The first such episode related to Richard Scudamore, chief executive of the Premier League. Now, Richard Scudamore's secretary found various emails on his private account, which were disclosed to the press in May 2014. The judge considered Mr Farnan's Christmas card to be related much lower on the scale than Mr Scudamore's emails, which were much more offensive. Now, in evidence, Miss Byrne had accepted that Mr Scudamore's comments were both inappropriate and sexist in his emails. Yet, at the time that this issue took place, Sunderland FC, along with other clubs, voted in favour of Mr Scudamore's continued tenure as Chief Executive of the Premier League, and Miss Byrne herself issued a press release quickly afterwards saying that she was delighted that common sense had prevailed. Further to this, in her evidence, Miss Byrne fixed on the fact that Mr Scudamore's indiscretions had been discovered by an unscrupulous employee who had access to his private email address without authorization. She insisted that the difference justified her taking a different view of Mr Scudamore than of Mr Farnan, whom she considered to have committed a serious breach of contract by using his Sunderland FC email to distribute the card. The judge said that she agreed that this response from Miss Byrne smacked of double standards, while accepting that the use of an employer's email might exacerbate the problem. The key issue is the extent to which the communications are themselves offensive, and Mr Scudamore's emails were much more offensive than Mr Farnham's. So that was rather interesting that the judge in this case compared the email sent by Mr Farnham to that of the uh, then chief executive of the Premier League, who Miss Byrne publicly supported. The second part of this issue that was considered was involving an email which was sent by a co-director of Mr Farnan in February 2013, which was sent from his Sunderland FC address, which was sent to Mrs Farnan, so Mr Farnan's wife, wishing her happy birthday all the breast. Now, Miss Byrne said that she had spoken to the director at the time, who claimed that it was a typographical error and that he'd actually meant to say all the best. Miss Byrne told him to be more careful in future, but what the judge said is that Miss Byrne is a clever woman and she couldn't accept that she truly believed the explanation she was given by the director. And the judge said, what I infer is that she was relatively relaxed about the episode. She marked her disapproval with a conversation with the person, but thereafter she let it go. I dare say she felt she had more important things to be getting on with. The judge then went on to say that based on her own track record of responding to similar issues, she concluded that if Miss Byrne had discovered at any time before the May 2013 investigation that Mr Farnan had sent his Christmas card on the Sunderland FC email address, she would have had a word with him and told him to be more careful in future. So for this reason, the judge didn't accept that what Mr Farnan had done was a breach of contract, so they couldn't rely on this. All rather interesting when it comes to how employers deal with things and it does just highlight the need to be consistent in your approach. So you can't say on the one hand that you accept 
some similar or worse behavior from others and then utilize that as a, a reason for dismissing an employee when it suits you. Just to summarize this case then, Mr. Farnan's claim for wrongful dismissal was unsuccessful because the judge in this case found that he had breached his obligations of confidentiality contained within his service agreement, namely by banking confidential information, sending it to his wife's email address and sending confidential information to third parties in order to try to secure employment and then also in his discussions with a journalist without authorization. For this reason, Sunderland Football Club were justified in their decision to dismiss Mr Farnham without notice. Uh, there was also analysis in this case in relation to his claim for bonus, which um, I won't go into here, but you can read more about it if you follow the link on the show notes, which I'll put in the show notes, which is adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 46. Finally, what should you take from this case as an employer? Well, the first thing is to review your confidentiality agreements, what it says in your handbook about how you deal with confidential information. And what I would advise on the basis of this case and various cases I've dealt with in the past is to have a specific clause within your employee contracts or within the handbook, which says that employees are not permitted to forward emails to their personal email address or to a third party's personal email address unless expressly permitted to do so by you, the employer, or if it's in the course of their employment. Obviously, you want to enable them to send emails to clients, for instance, or customers, but not to other people like their wives or to their own personal email address. And you need to make it clear that any breach of that would be considered to be a serious breach of contract and would constitute gross misconduct. That way, if you then discover that employees are banking confidential information or sending things to themselves, you can rely on it. If you would like some advice or some help in drafting those particular clauses or you would like me to review what you have to ensure that it is sufficient, then I would be very happy to do so. I offer very competitive rates for doing that work and we can of course agree a fixed fee if necessary. You can contact me, it's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. For those of you who are based on the South Coast or in Hampshire, Thursday the 14th of January, so this week, is my Employment Law and HR Update event for 2016. It's being held in Eastleigh at 5.30 at the point, which is in Lee Road, Eastleigh. If you would like more information and to book your space, you can do so online at adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash events. Thank you so much for listening. The next podcast will be available to download on Monday, the 25th of January. If you subscribe in iTunes, then you can guarantee that you'll get the next episode when it comes out. And if you want some more information in the meantime, you can sign up for my newsletter, which will be out on Monday, the 18th of January. And you can sign up online at adviceforemployers.co.uk. Many thanks for listening, and I look forward to hearing from you shortly. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please 
please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice. <laughs>